Uh, good morning. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open with me to Deuteronomy um, chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to do things a little bit different. Um, I want to go, well, you can keep flipping there, don't feel like you got to stop. I want to go straight into a time of prayer this morning. Um, if, and I, I've tried to communicate this the best I can to each service. Um, but if I can just be really honest with you this morning, I feel a certain amount of, I think, personal conviction, all right? Uh, so a lot of times when you preach, you feel, when I preach, you feel convicted, all right? I'm preaching and now I feel convicted, okay? Um, so that happens sometimes. Uh, but I also, with that, have just all morning long kind of felt like a sense of anticipation. And I don't really um, know what that means. Like, I'm not getting spooky on you. Like, I don't think, like, God's going to come down in, like, tongues of flame or anything in this service. If He did, that would be awesome. I'd be here for it. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like God um, wants to do a work, maybe just in us individually. Like, maybe it's not even uh, corporately, but I've just really been um, anticipating that all morning. And I'll be honest with you, I think there's just so, um, there's a certain amount of casualness which we come in here every week and we just kind of expect the same old thing, right? Like it's, it's like we get up and go to work on Monday morning, right? And you know what you're going toward. We do that with church too. And um, there's just a certain amount of casualness in here. And I, I think what I'm, what I'm praying for this morning, um, honestly, that I think God's just been doing in my heart this morning is, is just a work to kill that casualness. This is a big deal when we come before God. And um, so I'm really excited for that this morning. I think God's going to do a great thing. But would you pray with me before we move in? God, I, I really mean what I said, God. I believe, God, that you do want to do a big work among your people, dear God. And so, Lord, I pray specifically right now for every person in the room, God, that you would turn our attention away from everything that doesn't matter in this moment, dear God. Everything that's not eternal, everything that's not drawing us closer to you, I pray that you would turn our attention away from it and draw us in and focus us on you, Lord. Um, God, I pray, Lord, that there, the um, sense of casualness before us um, would dissipate, dear God, that we would not that we would not approach you as just uh, any other Sunday, we would not approach you as just any other thing that we do, um, but that as we draw close to you, you we would um, come into your presence and our lives would be changed because of it. God, forgive me where I fall short. I pray that you would do that among your people right now, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, so let me just kind of bring us to how we got right where we are before we go any deeper um, in the message series. We're, go, we're in this series, Full House, right? Looking at God's design for the family, right? And um, not only God's design for the family, but really God's design for individuals, right? And, and so I've kind of summed up everything uh, this way over the past couple of weeks. God intends for the family unit to revolve around knowing and loving Him and it being an invitation for others to do the same. This is going to be on the screen so you can see it. We've, sum, we've, we've summed up the, this way. God intends for the family unit to revolve around knowing and loving Him and to be, and to be an invitation for others to do the same. So over the past couple weeks, what we've really said is that not only our families, but also your life is supposed to be this, right? It's supposed to have this purpose, right? That your life, your family's life's purpose is to be to revolve around knowing and loving God and be an invitation for other people to do the same. Now, the great tragedy in all this, and maybe this is, I think, um, just honestly, God's convicting me a little bit of this morning, is the casualness with which we approach our purpose, right? Like, we have this purpose, but we're just casual about it, right? We don't ever stop to ask ourselves, 
am I uh, accomplishing the purpose for which God has given me to live, right? We just go through life, right? And, it's, and, and I understand life comes at us fast. And, but we do this with our families too. We never stop to ask. I never stop to ask about my family. Am I accomplishing the purpose for which God has given me my family? And so today what we're going to do is, if we summed up the purpose, what we're going to look at is, is why we're so casual with this purpose. We're going to look at the threat that's causing us to not accomplish this purpose the way that God has designed it to, okay? Let me, let me uh, just go ahead and throw this out here. Why are we not accomplishing the purpose? Here's the reason why. The greatest threat to God's design for the family, uh, and you can sub substitute that for God's design for our life, the greatest threat to God's design for our life is our own forgetfulness. Is our own forgetfulness. Now let me kind of clarify that just a little bit, a couple things. Number one, when we start thinking about why we're not following the Lord the way we think we should follow the Lord, a lot of times we, we put the blame on like sin, right? Like, oh man, this, we're trying to just avoid this big sin as if sin was just uh, like the Bible says, always crouching at the door looking to get us, right? And so sin is a reason that we don't accomplish God's design sometimes, but it's not one, it's not Probably the main, not the main thing, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, in, in the, at least in the sense of like big tragic sin, right? Not everybody's going to have some life-shaking tragic fall from grace sin, okay? But a lot of times we also think about it as like the reason we're not accomplishing God's design for our life or our families is Satan, right? As if Satan was always around the corner, right? Just like waiting to jump out and scare us and go boo, right? And mess everything up. So a lot of times we put the blame on sin and Satan, but really the, the blame doesn't go to either of those places. It's our own personal forgetfulness. The truth is we just forget that we're supposed to be living for God's purpose and not our own. Let me prove it to you. The past couple of weeks, you haven't learned one new thing, right? I got up here a couple of weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago I was, I was here and I preached a sermon and everybody who walked out was like, Pastor, that was a good sermon. Great, great message. I appreciate that. I really needed that. You know what nobody told me? That was new. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that I need to be born again and believe in Jesus and follow him with my life. You, no one told me that. Why? Because you've been hearing that your whole life. Right? Pat got up here last week and Pat said, hey, you, parents are supposed to teach kid, their kids about God. You know what no parents said? Well, no one's ever told me that. Right? You've learned nothing new over the past two weeks. The problem is that we forget what we already know. It's not that we don't know we're supposed to be living for God. It's that we forget we're supposed to be living for God. The problem is that we, as we live life, we forget these things. And listen, it's not always bad things that make us forget. Life begins to crowd out God's design for our lives and for our families so much that we, as we are focused on our lives and our endeavors and our concerns, what happens is we're focused on all this stuff that's coming at us and God begins to go to the margins. Right? And can I just tell you, it's not always the bad stuff. It's not a, focus at having to cook dinner, Mom, right? That's not a bad thing. You know what you got to do? Cook dinner, right? Your kids, like, if you don't, they're like agencies that are called about that, okay? Like, it's not, you know, you know what's not a bad thing? 
Paying the bills. Checking your online bank statement, right? None of these things are bad things, right? Having hobbies, going to sporting events. None of these things are bad things, right? But what I'm telling you is, as we go through life, and life comes at us, whether it's paying the bills, whether it's cooking dinner, whether it's raising children, whether it's being married, as life comes at us, we become focused on life such that God is driven to the margins in life. And so God's design is driven to the margins. Uh, the best way for me to illustrate it to you is this way. The, me and Jenna committed the cardinal sin of parenting an infant and a toddler. Anybody know what that cardinal sin is? She said it. You sleep in the bed with you. All right? We committed it, right? Now, some of y'all good parents, y'all are judging me so hard right now. Like, I cannot believe you let that child sleep in the bed with you. Okay, find the perfect pastor, all right? We got tired. We let Danny sleep in the bed with us, all right? That didn't last long, actually. We talked Danny into sleeping in her own big girl bed. And so you know how we did that? Because one of us slept with her. Now, I say one of us very liberally. What I mean is I slept with her, okay? All right? Nobody won in this situation except Jenna, who had the whole bed to herself, all right? And, but D Danny was a daddy's girl, so eventually we, we talked Danny to sleeping in her big girl bed, right? And eventually we worked our way out. She fell asleep on her own. And, but what still was happening was about midnight she would wake up, and, and we, we kind of beat this this year. We, she would wake up and call for me to come lay with her, right? And so here's what would happen. About midnight I'd go in there and lay down, all right? I would start off with about half of the bed, right? That's what, anybody can sleep on half of the bed, no problem, all right? About 45 minutes into it, I would start feeling any uh, combination of knees, elbows, fists, and feet, right? And so what happens is, is that within the first 45 minutes, my half has gone down to a fourth, all right? Still enough to sleep on, right? But within the next hour, hour and a half, my fourth has gone down to an eighth. And by the time it's time to get up at 5 o'clock, it's a good thing it's time to get up because I had no more room, right? What happens is I was constantly driven to the margins. Now, here's the, I want you to get the illustration. A lot of times, that's what we do with God. We leave here on Sundays. We try to put God where he needs to be, right? God, we're going to love you. We're going to focus on you. We're going to live the life you've um, called us to live. But as we live, as we go through life, life happens, and God begins to get less and less of where he actually belongs. And he's driven to the margins. Now, what we're about to see in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as Moses giving us a warning, after he's come and given us the design, he's going to give us a warning not to let that happen. He's going to say to us, life is going to happen to you. Do not forget and let God be driven to the margins. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Here's what the, script, the scripture says. And when the Lord our God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, great uh, and... And houses full of good things that you did not feel, and sisters that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, this is what he says, then take care lest you forget. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God who you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. All right, we're going to stop right there. And we'll kind of unfold what's going on here. Here's what, uh, before we move on any, I want to point something out. Especially those of us who are good church-going folk, right? We, we, we do this church thing pretty regularly. 
Moses has just given us God's design for how life and how family should work, right? He's given us God's design for our life and saying, hey, you should love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? You should give him everything you got, total allegiance. And he's given us God's design for the family by saying, hey, you should teach these things to your children, right? And the next thing he, he does here is give us a warning. Now, us good church-going folks would expect a warning about how not to sin, right? We would expect him to go into the Ten Commandments here. Hey, don't cheat on your spouse. Don't lie. Um, don't have no, have no other gods before me. You would expect that as we, he gives warnings about how to, how to live this design out, what he would say is, hey, don't sin. Here are a list of Ten Commandments. Don't do these things. Instead, as he, as he spells out this warning of how to live by God's design, what he actually says is, do not forget. That's a big shift. So what I want us to see here is Moses' warning not to forget. Moses lays out God's design, and then he gives us a warning not to let God be driven to the margins in our life. And here's what I love. It's a really uh, expansive warning. It's really a warning in three parts, okay? I want us to break down each of these parts of forgetfulness that my kid's making a run for, guys. She's like, this guy is not a good preacher, and I want out. All right, I get it. He's, he really, he's really given us a warning in three parts, Okay. The first part of the warning is this. Do not forget where your blessings come from. Do not forget where your blessings come from. Look with me at verse 10. I want you to see how these, this text unfolds. He says, hey, you guys are about to come into this land, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. You're going to have, you're going to have so much stuff. But notice how the text unfolds. He says, you're going to come into this, the greatness of the land, and you're going to have great and good cities that what? That you did not build. Great. It's awesome. You didn't build it. He says, you're going to have houses full of good things that you didn't fill. He says, you're going to have cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Now, the point here is clear. The blessings in our life, the blessings for the Israelites, the blessings for us, down to the material things, are not earned. They are blessings given to us from God. We don't earn anything. As a matter of fact, at best, they're on loan to us from God. Now, we as, we as Americans, like, we, we get exactly what this text is talking about, right? Because we got great and good cities. We got houses full of good things. We got, we got put cisterns, like replace cisterns with bank accounts. We got bank accounts full of money. We got vineyards and olive trees. We've got more than we need. And here's the point God's making. All of that that's given to you, is on loan to you from God. You didn't do one thing to earn it, right? And now you might be saying, well, I, I earned what I have, right? Okay, cool. Who gave you the ability to go and earn it, right? A lot of people don't have that ability. Everything you got is a gift from God. At best, it's on loan. You're like, well, I own my house. I paid it off. All right, listen to me, bub. In 20 years, in 20 years somebody else is going to be living there, right? you like, I own this shirt that's on my back. In 20 years, that shirt's going to be at Goodwill. At best, the things that you have are on loan from God. Here's the point. You're not awesome. God's awesome. And sometimes God gives you things that are awesome. I love Psalm 24.1. Here's what it says. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. In other words, everything in this earth is God's. Your stuff is actually God's stuff. You're welcome. He's letting you borrow it for a little while. 
Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. What's he saying? The heavens and earth belong to God, and God in his grace, in his goodness, chose to give you a little bit of it. Why? Just because he loved you. He thought it would be good for you to have some of it. Have some of it. Everything in your life could have been someone else's, if not for God. And now, if you're really honest with yourself, you know this is true, right? Because you can look back on a couple times in your life where if one or two things went differently, you'd be in a completely different situation. Somebody else would be sitting in your seat. You have what you have because God loves you and chose to loan it to you for a little while. Now, why is this important? Because Moses has given us a warning here. Because oftentimes we let the blessings of God become central in our lives. Right? This is what Moses is warning about. You're going to come into a great land. You're going to have all kind of great stuff. And as you take over this great stuff, you're going to start to worry about that stuff. And it's going to dra- you're going to start to focus on the things I gave you instead of the person who gave it to you. We become consumed with the blessings so that they're what we focus on and what we worry about. Like, the best way to kind of think about it is, is, is to replace the word cisterns with bank accounts. And you start to get an idea of it. How often do, do we start to think about, well, do I have enough money to do X? Uh, I, I really want to sell this house. I really want to buy a new house. Uh, right? I, I really, how's my investment portfolio doing? Am I doing all right? All of a sudden, the things that God gave us become the focus of our lives. And when we, let, when we let the blessings of God become central to life, we let the things of God drive God to the margins. All of a sudden, we're worried about all the stuff in our life, and we're trying to take care of it, and we've forgotten the God that gave us all the stuff in our life. So I want to ask you, have you let the things of God take the place of God? Oh, I've got to take care of all the stuff. God's given me all this, or I've got all the stuff that, I, that I've got in my life. I've got to take care of it. Have you let the things of God take the place of God? That's the first part of this warning. Don't forget who blessed you. The second part of this is don't forget how God saved you. So Moses has given a warning to the Israelites, and this warning really applies to us, a warning not to forget. He says, don't forget the God who blessed you. The second part is don't forget the God who saved you. Look at verse 12. It is the Lord your God who... Verse 12... Then take care lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, I love this reminder, all right? Because as life happens, all too often the people of God quickly begin to forget the work of God that God's done for them, right? For the Israelites that Moses is talking to, it's simple. The Israelites had been an oppressed people, an enslaved people. They had been enslaved in the house of Egypt for 400 years, right? They had no hope. They were without hope. And God came and said, I'm going to show grace to you, and I'm going to bring you out and deliver you, right? And so, but what, how did the story of the people of Israel go? We know what happened, right? As they lived life, they began to forget what God had done for them. Such that the Bible literally says in Judges and in Joshua that God, uh, that the next generation was raised up and they did not know the Lord. They forgot. And now, it's, it's, it's really easy to judge the people of Israel here, but oftentimes we do this too. For us, the work that God did for us was the exodus from sin that Jesus delivered us out of on the cross. But so often, we as Christians, we begin to live life and we forget what God's done for us. We forget 
that we were sinners who were lost and separated from God. We forget that we were enslaved to sin just like the Egyptians were, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. We forget that we had a dead heart, listen, that was going to send us to hell. Every person who has ever been born has a heart that is made of stone, not a heart that is made of flesh, and the Bible says that heart is going to send us to hell. And we forget somehow that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself, who spoke the earth into existence, decided to leave heaven, come to earth, and die on a cross to save us, and then three days later was, rose from the dead so that we could be born again. Now listen, that's the greatest news in the world. It just, like, it doesn't get any better. Like, imagine seeing that on headline news. Like, you're like, this is, this is awesome. And somehow, some way, we've managed to get over it. Now, this is where I'm, I'll just be honest with you, I'm primarily convicted. Because I, I go through life, and somehow the best news in the world, I manage to get over it. Right? This should, be, this should be the stuff that just consumes me, right? That, I, that, that drives my life. And now listen, I'm not proposing that we become like weirdos, right? That we just go up to people all the time being like, have you heard about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Right? I'm not saying it should consume us like that. I am saying that it should consume us in such a way that it drives everything. That when we go to the soccer field, that when we, go to the, when we go to work, when we go out to eat at restaurants, what we're actually driven by is not just our stomachs or our calendars, but what we're driven by is, man, God has a purpose for me today here because I can't get over what He's done for me and other people need to know too. We, just, we should not be, somehow we just got over it. Let me, maybe this, kind of, this will kind of help. Me and Jenna have been married seven years now dating 10 and we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a second actually but you know there are there are days when I think back to 10 years ago and I just can't get over the fact that for some reason right she saw me and was like yeah I'll give that guy a shot like she saw me and was like yeah I kind of like you right I'm just like really this is awesome right and now listen, there, and I know y'all think I'm joking, but I'm really not. There are days now, we've been married uh, seven years, six, something like that. We've been married seven years. She's like laughing. She's like, oh, you're going to pay for that. We've been married seven years, and like, there are literally days where I'm like, I, don't, I can't get over that. She's like, yeah, I still kind of like you. Right? Because what y'all see is funny guy on stage. Can y'all imagine living with this? It ain't easy, bro. Right? I actually, I'm a bit of a jerk, and she tells me sometimes that I'm a bit of a jerk, right? And I, I, like, I look sometimes, and I just, I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. But yet, the best news in all the world, that Jesus Christ, the guy who spoke and created universes, we somehow managed to be like, yeah, that was great, cool. And we've left it behind. Moses is warning us, hey, don't forget the God who saved you. It's the best news in all the world. Don't forget it. So don't forget where your blessings come from. Don't forget who saved you. And then the last thing he warns them against is not to forget what their life should revolve around. And this is where it gets, honestly, a little bit intense. It's almost a refocusing here. So Moses has given us the negative. Hey, don't forget this is what this looks like. But now he's saying this is what you should actually do then. Don't forget, this is what you should do. All right, look at verse 13 with me. Uh, here's what it says. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Notice what he says. Him you shall serve. 
And by his name you shall swear. You see how this turns here? Don't forget, but instead do this. Now, this, this, let's, let's break this down a little bit because I want you to see what he's actually saying is this is the Lord who should be the main thing in your life. He says, this is the Lord, him you shall fear. Now, I'm just going to tell you, maybe I have an old soul, but we need to get a, just a little bit more of this fear of the Lord back in our, in our church a little bit, all right? This is where we have this casualness come from, right? Because we don't have any idea of the fear of the Lord. Here's what fear of the Lord means. It means to respect and honor with attention given to. Respect and honor with attention given to. It's this understanding that, it, that when I come into the presence of God, I'm not coming into the presence of someone like me. But for some reason, we've got this mentality where like Jesus is my homeboy mentality, right? Me and Jesus, we're tight. Oh, I, just walk, I, I, I just walk with Abba Father. And like, listen, I, I, I get all that, right? But that doesn't mean we should be comfortable with it, right? As a matter of fact, one of the first times we see Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament is Genesis chapter 49. You know what it says about Jesus? That he's going to come, he's going to crush the skulls of his enemies. Right? That ain't homeboy type language. You know what kind of language that is? Hey, Jesus, I know you're coming back real soon. If you could not kill me whenever, when you come, that'd be great. Right? It's, it's this, maybe a preacher's never told you this, all right? But it's this recognition that if he wanted to, Jesus could end you right now. It's kind of the, this is my best way to think about it. You, you know, when you go to the zoo and there's a line on the other side of the display, right? You know when everything's good? As long as that line's on the other side of the display, right? Cool, no problems, all right? I'll take a picture, right? This, this is awesome. Me and the line, we're good. Things go bad if the line's on the other side of the display, right? You me tell you if that line's sitting right here, you me tell you what you're not going to be doing? Checking out Instagram. <laughs> oh, there's a line, all right? No, you don't want to know where your attention's going to be? On the line. There's a recognition that this isn't like me, and he could kill me if he wanted to, and he deserves some respect. And that's what Moses is saying. Hey, we gotta, there's some fear of the Lord that needs to come back to the center here. You need to know who you're dealing with. This casualness, maybe I'll go to church, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll read my Bible, maybe I won't. Bring it back and focus on and think about who you're dealing with. He says, fear the Lord. Then also he says this, serve the Lord. So here's what happens. As God has our attention, as God has our respect, what happens is we begin to be devoted into him in such a way that we give him our time. So check this out. If you are not serving the Lord, God is not the center of your life. There's no other way for me to say that. Because what Moses says is, as we fear the Lord, you will begin to serve the Lord. And if you are not serving, it's because He's not the center. I love how Howard Hendricks says this. He says, people impressed with themselves do not serve. In other words, when you're the center, you don't have space to serve everywhere else. But when God's the center, you, well, here's what happens. You say, you're in charge and I'll do whatever you want me to do. So let me ask you, are you are, is God the center in such a way that you're serving? And then the last thing he says is, by his name you shall swear. By his name you shall swear. Now here's basically what this means. That he becomes our highest allegiance so that he's the all that we have to offer. Right? Like, I'm giving you my, my word on God's name because I ain't got anything else to offer. When I was in high school, uh, the group of guys I ran with would say it something like this, on my mama's grave, right? 
Now, here's what that means. If, if with I, when, I, when I was with my friends, if they said something like that, whatever, you, whatever they just said, they weren't joking. You could actually count on it, right? Because half the time you couldn't tell whether they were lying to you or actually being serious, right? But if they said that, they were offering you the highest thing, and you're like, man, you come from a weird place. It, it is, all right? But if they said that, you could, you could count on it, right? And now this is the deal. When we're offering up Jesus, what we're saying he's, is he's all I got. He's the center of everything. He, he is the highest allegiance of my life. So in summary, what Moses is reminding us of is that our entire being should be devoted to God. So here's the question for us. Have we allowed life to drive God to the margins such that everything else is important and God gets what's left over? Do you walk through life forgetting what matters most? Because let me assure you of this, God is not content to have the margins of our life. God is not a God of the margins. So the, the issue for many of us, and I, I'll just be honest with you, I believe most of us allow this to happen pretty repetitively. It's a part of, I think it's somewhat a part of being human. I think it's a product of the day and age we live in when everything's distracting, okay? So the question becomes, if we've allowed God to be pushed to the margins and everything else takes center, how do we make sure that we don't forget to put God where he belongs? And there's a simple answer to that. The answer is this. We need to learn to count our days. We need to learn to count our days. That's what we're going to see in the second part of this scripture. We're going to see a challenge to count our days. Look with me at Deuteronomy 6, 24. I'm not going to read everything between these two. I just want you to see how Moses ends this, okay? He says this, And the Lord commanded us to do all of these statues to fear the Lord for our good always, that what? That he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Now, get this. The understanding here is that you are where you are in life alive because God at this moment has decided to keep you alive. Now, the, the, the reverse of that then is also true, that if God decides not to keep you alive, you die. Okay? So the point that Moses is making here is that our lives are in God's hand. And if that's the case, if, if our lives are in God's hands to such a degree, all right, is everybody tracking with this, that, that he can end it or, or prolong it, then we need to be prepared for the day that we stand before Him because we don't know when that is. 6, 26, 36, 66, 96, I don't know. The point is it's coming because your, hand, your life's in God's hand. So we need to learn to count our days. Psalm 90 verse 12 says it this way, Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. In other words, when you start to count your days and realize you're coming to meet God, you want to know what happens? You start living with Him at the center. You start living with wisdom because you know you're coming to see him. James 4.17, 4, I, I love this verse. It's almost a little aggressive, though. James says, what is your life? Can I just tell you, that's aggressive enough that if somebody were to come up to me on the street and they were to say, what is your life? I would look back at him and say, well, what is your life, right? Like, what, is your, what do you mean, what is your life? This is an aggressive language. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That, that's a little disturbing. James is like, you're a fog. Yeah, you know that fog that's on 385? That's you. you no, know it's gone by 10 o'clock? That's you. Here's the point. Life happens quick. 
And now we're a multi-generational church. Some of, those, some of you guys in here who have a little bit more gray hair, you can like amen to that, right? Like it, it goes quick. And so this week I sought to apply this to my own life. I sought to, th- and I'm just going to tell you, I'm a l- I'm, this is going to be an illustration, but I'm a little bit mentally disturbed from it. Like I'm not joking. Like it, it messed with me, okay? As a matter of fact, I, I even talked with Jenna a little bit about it. It made me realize how, and now y'all are going to laugh, I don't care, I'm being dead serious. It made me realize how close I am to 30, and I, and I didn't really like it. Right? And like, you know, people are like, well, 30, that's not, all right, good for you, you're 40. I'm just telling you it messed with me. Life, life don't slow down for anybody. Like, it, it's coming quick. Let me, let me illustrate how to count your days from my own life, okay? Show this first picture. It's graduate recognition day, all right? This is Dallas's high school graduation. A couple things I want you to notice. That hair was awful, all right? Mine. And I look like a goober, and Jenna looks beautiful, which is pretty much a summary of our entire relationship, okay? But that was, this picture was about 10 years ago, okay? Next picture. This was our wedding day, all right? Hair's a little bit better. I can finally grow a beard. And, man, look at Jenna. I'll tell you why I chose these pictures in just a second. But I remember when I, like, you know, husbands get all emotional and stuff. I didn't, I didn't cry, right? The only thing that was going through my mind was simply this. There's no way she's going to make it down this aisle without changing her mind. Like, she, she is definitely not coming all the way down, right? And so as each pew she passed, I was like, we're almost there. We're almost there, right? All right, next picture. This was about six months after we had first gotten married. Um, it was definitely before Danny. I remember this. I remember this picture actually, like it was yesterday. But I remember this night we went to a bridal shower for one of Jenna's good friends, and we were living dangerously. Teenagers don't do this. We were taking selfies while driving. All right, this is when we were learning out about the whole cell phone trend. All right, uh, Jenna's got a pixie cut there, super cute. All right, next picture. This is when I graduated uh, my undergrad. Okay, Jenna's about nine months pregnant at this point. All right, miserable. Okay, um, pixie cut still rocking. You see that metal on my chest there? That means I'm smart, okay? I'm not bragging, <laughs> but it means I'm kind of a big deal, okay? Next picture. This was Danny's first home football game, all right? Now, you see that face there? Here's what that means. She'd been like this her whole life, all right? <laughs> She'd been mean mugging. Like, some of y'all were like, oh, Danny's so sweet. Others were like, hey, Danny really don't talk to me, all right? Don't take it personal. She'd been this way her whole life, all right? Next picture. I chose this picture very intentionally. Number one, Danny, I love you, baby. Y'all see her head? <laughs> Y'all, I'm telling you, first thing my daddy ever said to me after she was born is, is she going to be okay? I was like, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> but you see this picture here? Danny, I don't know if Danny even knows this. Danny had all kind of health problems from like zero to really before we moved here. She was just a difficult child, and she had a lot of stomach problems, and that thing that I got on my chest there, whatever that's called, it was like one of the only ways that she could get relief because it like held her stomach so tight. And Danny, we walked a thousand miles in that thing. Every night when I got home, I would turn off my truck, Jenna would already be there, and I'd be listening, thinking, God, please don't let her be crying. Please don't let her be crying. And every night she'd be crying, and so I'd go in, I'd get that thing, and we'd just walk. Just walk. You know what? It was awesome. Like, I'm thinking about it now. It was awesome. Then it was horrible. Now it's awesome. Next picture. This was the, Joe, do you know when this is? First time I ever preached at um, Upstate Church Harrison Bridge. I was filling in um, 
for, one, for somebody that day. I came and preached. Notice that baby face. Jenna doesn't let me do that anymore. She says that I like a child. It's because I am a child. So there's that. All right, next picture. You see how happy Jenna looks here? That is a complete live picture, all right? We had been here. This is the day we came to look for houses. And has anybody tried to buy a house in Simpsonville in the past few years? You know what you can't find? is a house, all right? People are stupid. If you're trying to buy a house, you're one of them, okay? So we looked all day. Couldn't find a house. We went and ate at Rosie's Mexican restaurant. Danny, you remember what you did? Puked everywhere at Rosie's the first time I took her there. We were so mad. We were so tired. Finally found one at the end of the day. This picture, we look happy. We're not. We're like, God, are we doing the right thing here? Because I don't know. This was, this was uh, 2016, okay? Next picture. This was Disney World. All right, let me, be, let me be honest. If you don't actually like Disney World, you need to find another church, okay? I just can't pastor you effectively, all right? It really is the happiest place on earth. I'm just kidding. Don't find another church, but I'll, I'll give you some counseling. Like, I walked through that place in 2017, and I was like, take my money, right? <laughs> Jenna, Jenna was literally like, what has gotten into you? I was like, baby, I don't even care if we got credit card debt. We about to go see Mickey, right? It was so, look at, Dan, look at Danny's hair. It, it's so short. Like, this isn't that long ago, guys. This is, like, those of you who have been here the whole time, y'all remember when it was like this, right? She was bald. Like, I'm, like, trying to get her some hair here. All right, next picture. This was May of 2020. We had been in quarantine for two months. This forerunner, guys, I don't care about this car one bit. Like, let me just be, it's a 21-year-old car. It, the, every light in the dash is on. Can't, don't have a speedometer on it, Okay. Here's my point in that. I don't take good care of it, right? We were so bored in the middle of quarantine, I was like, let's watch the forerunner, okay? Like, that's where we were at. And look at, Dan, look at the smile on Danny's face. She's so happy, right? Just wetting me. Like, I'm sure I was saying not nice things in there. But, man, that, that was a year ago. All right, next picture. This is the most recent, like, family outing picture we had. It was the Rudolph run. Fountain Inn, we had a fun time. Danny rode in the stroller, and we pushed her. Next picture. This is uh, Danny's K-4 graduation picture, y'all. Isn't, that, isn't she pretty? Like, listen, I, I saw this, and it messed me up a little bit, guys. Because I was like, she's a little adult. I'm like, child. <laughs> like, you are a grown adult. Like, what is going on here? And, and she's so pretty and not a little baby with a little messed up head. <laughs> like, And here's my point. Here's what you should gather. That's 10 years worth of pictures. I chose these pictures really important because let me tell you why. I can remember where everyone was taken. I can remember the people on the other side of the, uh, of the camera, right? I can remember smells. I can, like Every one of these pictures, I remember like it was yesterday. And as I think about it, there ain't no way, guys. There's no way it was 10 years. And that's what happened. Ten years gone. Here's the point. Life don't slow down for anybody. And you can do this with your own life, right? And here, here's where all this is going. How stupid, and I, don't, I mean that word very intentionally, how stupid can we be to let life come at us and drive the most important thing to the margins while we're heading in the direction of meeting face-to-face -face with the most important thing? Right? 
And I, I, I'm not being legalistic here. There are seasons. There are times where this is better than others. But what I'm telling you is if this is the most important thing, the thing that connects the seasons, the good and the bad, is the most important thing. And so listen, I just want to offer us a moment this morning to reprioritize and to say, God, I understand that life isn't slowing down for anybody. That it's coming fast and I'm coming to meet you and I want to make sure that when I meet you, I have not forgotten what matters most, but I have actually lived for the purpose with, for which you've given me. I have raised my children. I have, I have read my Bible. I have pursued the face of the Lord. Not because I felt like it was the right thing to do, but because that's why I was alive. And God, I'll cross over to the other side and I'm ready to meet you because I did it, God. I, I pursued you with everything I have. Listen, that ain't easy. But it's what God's called us to do. And personally, I, I'm, I, I, maybe it was this exercise. I'm scared. I don't want to do it. I, I don't want to drive God to the margins. I want to make Him the center. And so I've tried to count my days, and I pray that you will too. I want to offer us a moment. This altar is open to reprioritize and to say, God, whatever needs to be driven to the margins can be driven to the margins because I want you. Would you pray, for, pray with me? God, I love you so much. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the gifts you've given me in this life, God. For a beautiful wife, dear God. A beautiful child, dear God. A, a place to live. Food on the table. Wells that I did not dig. Cities that I did not build, God. And God, I just pray your forgiveness where I've seemed to have gotten over the best news in all the world. And Lord, I pray for a moment of reprioritization among your people that they would, if they felt so led, to come down to this altar, get on their knees, and to pray before you and say you are the most important thing. And that I understand I'm coming to meet you soon, and when I do, I'm going to be ready because I'm going to pursue you with my whole life. Forgive us of where we fall short. Forgive me. And have us all. In Jesus' name, amen.